Welcome back to Kraken Cove. Now, this is part two of a two-part journey into sound weapons. If you haven't listened to part one, it's best to have a listen to last week's episode before diving into this one. Now, if you have already listened to last week's show, settle back in your orgone accumulators, turn on some brown sound, and prepare for the good vibrations to get weaponized. So, I've got a question for you now. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of Havana Syndrome? Havana Syndrome? No. Well, what happened is... Oh, I think this is the bit where I were on about last week. Yeah. You know, we were on about the embassies. I thought it were like people on it. Yeah, go on. This, this is, is it, this yeah. is it, yeah, yeah. Havana Syndrome first sort of came about right um, in 2016, and it was uh, diplomats at a U.S. embassy actually in Cuba um, were talking about this and started reporting strange and unexplained health problems. These symptoms t- typically followed loud and unusual sounds, often described as like grinding metal, buzzing, or piercing squeals. God. Now I've recently been listening to sort of like a big, big thing on this and. Um, people would be just kind of going about their ordinary business either at work or even in their own flats and their own apartments and stuff like this it wasn't just at the embassies it was at their own personal sort of like buildings too and they'd just hear something like a a, a grating or a grinding or a sort of thing and they would instantly be hit with this illness even to the point where they couldn't um, they couldn't stand up in some cases you just immediately just like oh my god it's like they get terrible sort of fits and illnesses And it was it was a mystery. People were looking in it, and thinking, "Well, what can it be? What, yeah. what what could be causing all this sort of stuff?" You know. And they looked in with it's just a mechanical problem within the building. Nothing showed up. Yeah. They, they tested the air and for gases, the food for gases, the water supply for poisons. Well, they yeah. tested. I mean, when they said they tested, they tested everything. <laughs> yeah. the, Amer- the, the, the Americans went in and absolutely went through with yeah. a fine tooth comb, and they couldn't come up with anything. You know. But now. The brains of the US diplomats that were struck down with this mysterious illness while stationed in Cuba appear to have un- undergone changes. Oh my god. Right? That unlike any known disorder. Now, a lot of people were saying this was mass hysteria. That was one of the main things they yeah. come down to. But now they haven't. They've scanned them and they've realised no. The symptoms seem to suggest some kind of brain injury. Yeah. But last year, a team of researchers at the University of Pennsylvania analysed the brains of 21 of the diplomatic staff with magnetic resonance imaging and found that all but three of them looked normal. So Rangini Verma at the University of Pennsylvania and her colleagues have now used more advanced imaging techniques to study 40 of the diplomats and compared the results to a control group. Verma's team had used functional and structural MRI to get a more detailed picture of the diplomat's brain volume, connections, and tissue health. They found significant differences compared to the controls. 
The diplomats had less white matter across their whole brains, as well as in the frontal, occipital and parietal lobes. They also had fewer connections to the regions of the brain responsible for hearing and visuospatial abilities. So what it's actually looking like, the, something, some way, some intervention, something's happened and it's fucked their brains, it's oh cooked their brains, God. it's destroyed part of the mind. So imagine what we were talking about before, these vibrations, these oscillations yeah, yeah. of things going on. Now the brain, it's only, it's only very, it's like, it's not even a solid lump, is yeah, it? It's very, that starts vibrating in your head. Jesus, no. Completely fucking yeah. people up. Oh, God. But if you if you look at the subtlety of like Vladimir Gavro's yeah. activities, you know what I mean. He was first of all using these gigantic machines. Yeah, yeah. Was the first thing that made them ill. Really, was quite a subtle. It was just like the vibration of a fat uh, yeah, of a yeah, ventilator. Yeah. This time they must have taken everything down from the giant to this almost like, as we said before, an auditory laser. Yeah. They've got it down to this fine, fine thing. Now, this isn't the only uh, uh, embassy this has happened at. This happened at the US embassy in China as well. Wow, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it seems to be just working the same pattern. It seems to me that they are using sonic weaponry. So this isn't just happening in Cuba, it's happening in the Chinese embassy as well, potentially other embassies. But what do you think about that? I mean, honestly, weirdly enough, you know what a Benny brain works like. You know, it takes a while to like kick. If I read somewhere, I kind of like <laughs> <laughs> it kind of goes like in the back of Benny brain. Um, but I heard the one in Cuba, the one in China, and then someone did a bit of a reveal with it, and they said they're not trying to fucking fry the people in the embassy's heads. They're oh, not. Right. They're no. not doing an attack. They're listening in. That's and that's what you think it is. Yeah, you know, they said that it's like some they're doing this new method against windows, against other things about reading what's going on in the room, you know, word by word. I, I can't remember whether we we covered it or not. Did you? Did I tell you about the one where they can they can now measure the resonance of the glass of a light bulb? Wow, no, and I don't think we're going into that. Either. So what they can do is say, for example, they, they can focus one of these rays, one of these beams, yeah. on a light bulb. And measure the frequency of it as it oscillating because of the sound going on in the room. Yeah. And they can feed it into a computer and then have that come out and make oh, the noises that are in oh, the room. My God. But now, funny enough, actually, what you just saying that saying that to me there, that's triggered something I've just remembered as yeah, well yeah. about this same thing. Is the fact that I think I, well, you might be able to know a little bit more than me about it, but I think they're putting these re- listening rays in and it's going up against frequencies of other things within the embassy oh, too yeah. and that's when you get in the the, the um, what you, like a distortion yeah, you know yeah. I think that's when you get these weird like a cross wavelengths which like- well, again, it is. It is it's good like to Vladimir like, Gavro with the it, two different yeah, things. Man, one working at one hertz, one working at another. Yeah, You're getting crossing the wires. Hit boom! A, hit a fan. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It's fucking everybody. It's up. hitting a sweet spot and yeah. it's destroying. And it's powerful enough to turn people's brains to fucking soup. It's like cooking them and that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's some heavy shit, isn't it? That's a, that is really scary. I'd love to know what the truth is with that. Well, one of the things I hate is like when you wind down the window in the car yeah. and it starts with like. Yeah. And that's, that's what these oscillations are. Well, we used the... to do it over when we were kids. You remember? We used to get. You remember? You <laughs> used, used to go. Ugh. I used to go. Ugh. Like, we used to put the Hoover on it, and you used to go. Wah, wah, wah. We're like, fuck you! Know, stop it! I can't remember. That. <laughs> you, you made it up. <laughs> Maybe cut my brain. Exactly. There's no grey matter left. He's just all fucking pink ham and shit. <laughs> 
can't remember it. No, I can't. <laughs> you, you know, you just remember you do it, you just get over it and everything. Hoover used to do these really awful noise. <laughs> That's so fucked up. <laughs> So really now we've got to the meat and drink of this, which is, you know, people being injured. We now know it's open warfare. Yeah, man. People are using sound as weapons. So what we need to look at, we need to look at a history of using sound as a weapon. We need to look at from the start yeah, to the very finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep that's what dive. We, yeah, deep dive, that's what we need to look at. So about like a history of like um, sonics has been used as weapons. I'm, I'm going in for a couple of sources here, right? So I'm going to dip into a couple of these little things. Oh, cool, yeah. The first one is from the History Channel, uh, but it's uh, Eric Neeler, right? And he's, uh, his piece called Sonic Weapons Long Noisy History. And we're also looking at um, Vice's Joe Zader, or Zada, right? And his history of using sound as a weapon. You wow. know, so it's pretty interesting stuff. So, bullets, missiles, and swords may be what most people think of when it comes to weapons. But sound has been deployed over the millennia to disrupt, confuse, or even injure opponents in the global battlefield. So, I don't know if this is going to actually uh, sound familiar to you, but I'm going to try you out with it. Do you, have you heard of like the walls of Jericho falling down? Oh yeah, yeah, man, yeah. yeah stomp round them. Yeah. Well, it was the Israelite army, right? That stomped round the wall, went round a, a, a X amount of times, and then it was the trumpet blaring of that's the priests. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that brought down the walls of Jericho three three and a half thousand years ago, right? <laughs> so yeah, so that's sort of like that. That seems to be the first historical use of that yeah, kind of malarkey yeah. going on. You know what I mean? And um, but uh, even like in Stalingrad, right in 1942, the Soviet troops who were actually in Stalingrad yeah. kept the German forces awake at night by playing Argentine tangos through loudspeakers, right? <laughs> so and even then, of course, the Americans did the same thing in Vietnam. They yeah, that sort of weaponry Waco and, and that, as well. Waco, yeah. that's like, well, that's and that's another one. Is that that's absolutely yeah. true? Is that? Well, we can, we can jump on to the Waco one now. It says that seems it, the uh, so during the 1993 siege of the Branch Davidian cult complex in Waco, Texas, agents tried to get David Koresh and his followers to surrender by playing all kinds of kooky songs, from Nancy Sinatra's "These Boots Were Made for Walking" to Christmas carols and Tibetan chants. But it failed, obviously. Yeah, and really the, badly. Yeah, really, really badly. <laughs> and the FBI just... Well, I think it was the uh, FBI and the, again, FDA agents yeah. as well, wanted stuff like this. They stormed them and made an absolute show of it. I think they got affected by their own music <laughs> and just went fucking local. It did, like, they completely and utterly fucked them up, didn't they? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Good old Nance. Yeah. But there is out there now, there's a collaborative research project known as AudInt, which is short for Audio Intelligence. And they released it, released this like a box set, right, of vinyl called Marshall Hauntology. So you might have to have a word with your mate, Big Dave, oh, about this. He's gonna love that. <laughs> and it's, uh, it explores the darker history of sound, and it's a journey into the lesser-known realms of sonic weaponry, right? So the project is the latest in-depth study from Glaswegian electronic artist Steve Goodman. Perhaps best known by his own hyperdub label, known as Code 9. And it's uh, a collaboration with him and with uh, Manchester University research fellow Toby Hayes. 
and they describe AudInt as a research cell investigating how ultrasonic, sonic and infrasonic frequencies are used to demarcate territory in a soundscape and the ways in which their martial and civil deployment modulates psychologically, physiologically and architectural states. So the incorporation of sound into warfare may sound like a modern tactic, but the first reports have their roots in history. So actually he's aiming to have it as a proper physical yeah. weapon, right? The first one was, um, so back in 1944, right, um, it was uh, Hitler's chief architect, Albert Speer, had set up a research to explore his own theories of sonic warfare with the intention of creating tools of death. Right, and there's even a History Channel's uh, Weird Weapons episode yeah, right, that you can yeah, see yeah. on this sort of stuff as well. And he claimed that this device, it was called an acoustic cannon, was intended to work by igniting a mixture of methane and oxygen in a resonant chamber and could create a series of over 1,000 explosions per second. Wow! Now, if you think about this to what we were talking about before with, uh, with Vladimir Gavreau, We've got to think of, as we said before, he seems to have taken these oscillations rather than the explosions, mm. the big booms and the shocks that you get from those. That's a very raw way of um, delivering yeah, yeah. ultrasonics or infrasound. Um, this was like a very heavy, like a blunt instrument, wasn't yeah, it? They're yeah. just going to do massive explosion <laughs> noises over and over and over again, you know. This sent out a deafening and focused beam of sound which was magnified by huge parabolic reflector dishes, which is basically what it sounds like, gigantic dishes, big oh, plates. Right, yeah, yeah. And they would help focus those massive explosive sounds onto one single point. And the idea apparently was that by repeatedly compressing and releasing particular organs of the human body, the cannon could potentially kill someone standing with a 100 yard radius in around 30 seconds. So imagine the idea of an area like the size of a football field, yeah, right? Yeah. Blasting that area with it. And in 30 seconds, anyone in that area is basically turning your organs oh, to soup. Is your brain it uh, Well, it must be because not only would you be in, in excruciating pain, but it, it creates a vast amount of terror within your own system. Oh. Now, I've only actually ha experienced this sort of thing once in my life. Yeah. And I went to a go. <laughs> I went to a uh, rock concert, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it was I can't remember his name now. This guy. He used to be the lead guitarist of the Scorpions. No. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just basically he's like one of these sort of. German axemen types, yeah, right? Yeah. And, but the sound was so insanely loud, right? I could feel, feel it build up an oscillation in my chest. Oh, God. And my eyes started to vibrate in my oh, head. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to get out of the way of this. It must be at one point where they were just playing a particular piece of music and the speakers were... I must have yeah. stood in that one spot. Yeah. And when my eyes started to vibrate, it was the worst feeling in the world. I had to get out of the Spinning around in your coconut. Oh my god. <laughs> it was absolutely <laughs> awful, right? But as I said here, that this particular weapon, the uh, the the, sort of, the cannon, you know, uh, it was never actually used in uh, never used in battle. So the actual volume of sound frequency isn't the only way that you, its weapons been used in war. So uh, in the book in his 2009 book, Sonic Warfare, a key body of research in the understanding of contemporary sonic thought, Goodman included a chapter titled Project Jericho, which explored the US PSYOPs campaigns during the Vietnam War. Goodman described a particular campaign known as Operation Wandering Soul. The Curdler 
a helicopter-mounted sonic device produced, and I quote, voodoo effects of wandering soul, in which haunting sounds said to represent the souls of the dead were played in order to perturb the superstitious snipers, who, while recognising the artificial sounds of the wailing noises, could not help but dread what they were hearing was a premonition of their own post-death dislocated soul. What the? What do, what, what do you mean? What noise were they playing? So what we're going to do now is we've found a little piece of music. We've found a button we're going to click here. And this is going to... This is going to, this is going to actually sort of show us what um, the sound that came out of the helicopters was. And this is a little bit of a sound of, well, wandering soul. Oh my god. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Oh my god! Oh my fucking word! Wow. Fuck a doodle do. My <laughs> god, that's twisted as shit. Right. Now let me just let me just get some things through it with that, right? <laughs> I was not expecting that. Uh, I've never been so scared. You're like sniping in a jungle and you hear that thing. Well what My you have to remember god. is they've got this attached to a helicopter, right? And they're calling it the curdler, (laughs) and they are blasting that out in incredible volumes down from a helicopter into the jungle at night. At night. (laughs) I mean, because of course those sounds don't mean an awful lot to us as well. They just sound awful. But of course, it's all in Vietnamese, so there'll be 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 recognisable voices, noises, words. I'm I'm sure those noises something to do with like the you know like a funeral procession or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? The symbols, the instruments used, right? Now it it was these operations, Goodman wrote that directly inspired the famous scene of Francis Ford Coppola's <gasps> Apocalypse Now, wow. in which a fleet of helicopters fly towards a target while blasting Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries. Wow, cool, man. Yeah. So oh, that's... That's this is a direct link, cause that is just a terrifying bit and beautiful bit of filmmaking, isn't yeah. it? You know what I mean? It's just like, what is happening? Yeah. How far have we come? And you, you, you just think, well, that's batshit crazy, yeah, you know? Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, the reality was even weirder and, yeah. and worse. The curdler. Oh, the curdler? Yeah. <laughs> and while Wagner might not exactly be a torturous sound, the use of popular music for non-lethal weaponry goes further than Apocalypse Now. In 2003, the BBC reported that US interrogators were using songs by Metallica, Skinny Puppy, and, believe it or not, Barney the Dinosaur (laughs) in a bid to break the will of the Iraqi prisoners of war. (laughs) Barney would get me. As Sergeant Mark Hansel told Newsweek at the time, These people haven't heard of heavy metal. They can't take it. If you play it for 24 hours, 
Your brain and body functions start to slide. Your train of thought slows down and your will is broken. That's when we come in and talk to you. God, so that's, that's the thing, not you're not used it. to, yeah. But all this kicked off a bizarre discussion about whether music used during torture meant royalties were owed to the artists. <laughs> Metallica, they always want the cut, man. Well, it was skinny puppy. All they right. jumped on this and filed a sizable $666,000 royal- <laughs> royalty bill, right? I love the number 666 there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So whether they got it or not, I don't know, but I think that's a that's a pretty nice. That is it's cool. pretty sweet, isn't it? Though, yeah. So jump forward to June the thirteenth, two thousand and five, when the late Israeli president Ariel Sharon had just agreed to the disengagement from Gaza. That involved the displacement of settlers from the West Bank area, and stories soon started filtering in that the Israeli Defence Force was trying out a new weapon on the streets. Nice. <laughs> the knees buckle. The brain aches, the stomach churns, and suddenly nobody feels like protesting anymore, reported the Toronto Star's Middle East Bureau. An Associated Press photographer at the scene said that even when he covered his ears, he continued to hear the sound ringing in the back of his head. So it wasn't coming in through his ears. Vibrating. Vibrating his brain. Oh no, that dude from Scorpions again. <laughs> <laughs> Just be <laughs> Winds have changed, plastic to your brain. <laughs> so this special mounted vehicle was the Elrad. So this is the one now that they've been America's been using it this in the last few weeks on its own people to try and disrupt protesters and stuff. Oh shit, right. This is the yeah. one, it's the Elrad. So this is and it's a long range acoustic device. So they're I mean, they're using it against their own people. They're, they're meant to be um, they're meant to be ship mounted of these things. Oh my god! And what they're used for? Uh, they use them on uh, tankers, oil tankers, and things like this, right? To stop pirates. Right. You know, yeah. you get like these guys yeah, on these little yeah. boats. So what they can do is, they can, oh shit, half a mile away, we got pirates on our starboard bow, kind yeah. of thing. And they can focus this weapon on it, completely wham them with it, oh right? My god. But now they're starting to use this to sort of like uh, have a go at their own people, right? Oh my god, it's getting crazy. And the thing is, this this device is known on the streets by its victims. It's known as the scream. Oh, no. <laughs> so in a weird way, it's like the shout. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. This is the thing. This is just known as the scream, and it's meant to just fuck you up. Oh. You know. So other sonic tactics against Palestinians were also reported, like jets breaking the sound barrier at low altitudes over settlements. Right. So the yeah. in the class them as sonic bombs. By 2011 and 2012, the use of LRADs, these... Uh, the Screamers. The Screamers, yeah, yeah. Um, began domestically in the US. So this is when they actually started using it on the ground in the US, right? This? Against their own people. And they issued these devices to various police forces. Oh, you know? that's great. <laughs> Give yeah. it to coppers. Well, this is it. And, it's when they, and this is a little bit of an older, older piece, this, you see. So they're talking about it was used when the Occupy Wall Street and the G20 process. They used it against them. Wow. But nothing compared to how they're using it now, right? But only seven months ago, so this is 2014, this piece is coming yeah. out, right? Um, the American-based Elrad Corporation also struck a $4 million deal with a Middle Eastern country for their most powerful hailing device yet. 
the Elrad 2000X, which completely blows the other out of the, out of the water. Beaming sounds over three and a half thousand meters. Sorry, oh, that's still that's massive. It's, it's about a mile, mile and oh, a bit. Oh God. Yeah, so they don't use these things in the UK, they use them all over the place everywhere else. But in the UK, what people do, have you seen these outside shops? Oh, yeah, for teenagers, yeah, mosquitoes. mosquitoes. Yeah. I think that's a terrible thing. That's, yeah. you know, that's yeah. discriminatory, they shouldn't yeah, be allowed to use that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I can understand if shops like playing Barry Manilow outside, <laughs> do that kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, play yeah. music you just don't want people listening to outside there, you know. But the thing, what they're saying is, um, so because this is 2014, so yeah, I want to yeah. just point that out for you here, you know. So they haven't actually used the Elrod and its own people, the UK government. You yeah. know, they're not done that, right? Although, um, as they say here, London Mayor and water cannon enthusiast Boris Johnson was asked about Elrads in March. He denied knowing of their existence, responding, Is this some sort of April Fool joke? Another politician pointed out that the devices were actually installed on the Thames during the 2012 Olympics. What? So though he claims not to know what they are, knows nothing about them, they are fitted in the UK. And in fact, London is home to one of the only non-military or police-owned LRADs in the world. Uh-huh. Anschutz Entertainment Group, or as you probably know it, the O2 Arena. Right. The O2 Arena in London has one. It was once left outside the venue, <laughs> unattended, where it was photographed by a worried Twitter user. So what they're trying to say is that people reckon they're not about the you know they don't going to use these weapons against anybody. They're just waiting. They ready. are waiting and ready, and oh all these God. noise weaponry because it's not a, a projectile because it's not the normal thing that yeah, you think yeah. is. You know what I mean? You're totally unsuspecting, aren't you? Yeah. You're going into that, you can't defend it, can you? Well, the thing they've been discovering now, you know, I forgot to print, print it out. Well, I'll just go through off the top of the old dome here. Yeah, is because um, China's been using this weaponry quite a lot. You yeah, know what I mean? Not Hong but Kong. they're not just in Hong Kong, places like this. Yeah. But they're not just marketing these things. I think they're marketing it for commercial use, as they want to sell it to around the world, not just amongst their own people. And let's have a little look, see if I can find a picture for you of this. Oh, there. No. Uh, now, what we're looking at now, what I'm showing Ben at the moment, is the uh, it's the uh, a sonic rifle, and apparently that can fire a concentrated jet of sort of again like a laser of just sound. And focus it right on you, right on you, oh just zap you. So just in a crowd, so he's got a sniper scope and yeah. a big torch. Thing. And he could just wham your brain. Fuck you. And suddenly you're down and you're fucked. So and they're so, just pinpointing the trouble, or what they class as the trouble yeah. people in that riot crowd. But I mean, if you think oh about that God. though, you know, you, they're no longer doing sort of like just shooting people with projectiles because because yeah. there's, as we've already seen with the uh, with the uh, Havana syndrome, yeah. you know, people think, well, there's nothing wrong with you. You haven't got any injuries. You're not being yeah. shot by anything. You know, so you know. And they're getting clever. You know what I mean? At the moment, that the, you know, with tear gas and that in America, they've yeah. got leaf blowers and stuff to blow it all away. You know what I mean? They're, like oh, the swarming with cool, leaf. Yeah. Then they've got their own made shields for rubber bullets and stuff like I'm that. I'm liking him. He's yeah. kind of cool, aren't they? Exactly. You know? <laughs> Fucking right on, dude.
electronic weapons and and devices of a strange kind, you know mm. what I mean? Without ever going into my friend and yours, Nikolai Tesla. Oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, like everything in the world, he's got his own version of something. He's always yeah. built something. He's got his own devices and all this sort of stuff. And what Tesla had was his oscillator. Wow. Oh, right. yeah. So, an oscillator was amongst the exhibits Tesla demonstrated at the World Columbian Exposition in 1893. Tesla's electromechanical oscillator is a steam-powered electric generator patented by Nikolai Tesla in 1893. Later in life, Tesla claimed one version of the oscillator caused an earthquake in a New York City in 1898 gaining its popular title Tesla's Earthquake Machine. Now, would you like a little look at it? Oh, please. (laughs) Well, there we go. Look, there's there's the... Wow, yeah. Now, it's only a little model of it. Steam-powered. Steam-powered, yeah, yeah, this sort of thing. It's weird. I'll describe it, because it looks a bit like a candlestick, really, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But I think what it's got, it's got like a rotating business on the top and I think there but through various sort of baffles and things as the steam is released it can hit various frequencies yeah, yeah. that's what sounds of things are so Tesla's oscillator is a reciprocating electricity generator steam would be forced into the oscillator and exit through a series of ports pushing a piston up and down that was attached to an armature causing it to vibrate up and down at high speed producing electricity the upper chamber of the casing had to withstand pressures of 400 psi and temperatures exceeding 200 degrees C. Some versions used air trapped behind the piston as an air spring, increasing efficiency. So I think what they're saying really here is I think it's a byproduct of their, its power. It can generate so much power, but also different frequencies and stuff. The frequency is like a byproduct. Wow. And what they're saying is it, it, it said. One version of the story has Tesla experimenting with a small version of his mechanical oscillator at his laboratory on 46 East Houston Street near Manhattan neighborhood of Soho. Tesla said the oscillator was around seven inches long, mini one, right? And weighing one or two pounds, something you could put in your overcoat pocket. (laughs) At one point, while experimenting with the oscillator, he alleged it generated a resonance in several buildings causing complaints to the police. As the speed grew, he said that the machine oscillated at the resonant frequency of his own building, and belatedly realizing the danger, he was forced to use a sledgehammer to terminate the experiment. <laughs> just as the police arrived. Wow, that's mad sighting shit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But these there's also thoughts that police when they did arrive, they saw multi ton weighing pieces of equipment in his lab moving on their own accord. Oh my god. Because this is the because the frequencies working now. This is another theory that I've heard before that yeah. they use particular frequencies uh-huh. um, to move stone during the Egyptian era. Wow, and the same goes back to the man in the you know the coral yeah. castle that I yeah, ran about. Exactly. Like, he, he were obsessed with ley lines and power lines and stuff like yeah. that. The perfect spot, and suddenly he could move shit around. Yeah, this is it. So um, in a 1935 party, Tesla did claim as well that he could destroy the Empire State Building with just simply five pounds of air pressure if attached on a girder and they expected to earn 100 million dollars from the oscillator within two years now it sounded to me that song it sounded more than anything else that sounded like a bond villain threat yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 we always forget about tesla because he always looks as the good guy but you never know he, he uses powers for 
email. <laughs> One million dollars. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're quite glad, I mean, in a way that Tesla did die because if he had turned evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, don't, we, t- we just wouldn't be here, would we? <laughs> Blow felting up, yeah, man. <laughs> But just a little in, little one here, just a snippet for you to keep you interested, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, is, did you know that one of the theories, you know the Dyatlov Pass incident? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. so, for people who don't know, it was like an expedition by, like, these young Russian hikers went out into the middle of nowhere, and they, uh, they camped, and they was, were there, and they went missing for absolute yonks. Mm-hmm. And they eventually found them in a really bad way. And they oh, found them sort of in, undressed. They found them out in the ice without the without the, the shoes on. They tore out of their own tents. So they just burst out with knives and fingernails and everything. Burst out and just ran off half what? naked into a freezing <laughs> Siberian yeah. Siberian old. Uh, yes, something like that. Oh, yeah, and, and, they, and they all died. Yeah, they all yeah. died. And, and it was an absolutely awful death. Mm. And they don't know the reason why they did it. They're not found. They said it might be monsters. There might be something happened. But there's no marks on them. To show attack, it's not like somebody's had their head stoved in or yeah, somebody's been yeah. shot, nothing like that. But one of the theories why they were went so bad like that, infrasound. All right. So one of the hypotheses um, popularized by Donny Acar's 2013 book Dead Mountain is that the wind going around Kolat Syakal, which is the mountain, right, mm-hmm. created what's known as a Carmen Vortex Street. Right. Which can produce infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. Right. So, according to Icar's theory, the infrasound generated by the wind as it passed over the top of the Holotakal mountain was responsible for causing psychical discomfort and mental distress in the hikers. Icar claims that because of their panic, the hikers were driven to leave the tent by whatever means necessary and fled down the slope. And by the time they were further down the hill, they would have been out of the infrasound path and would have regained their composure, but in the darkness were unable to return to their shelter. The traumatic injuries suffered by three of the victims were the result of their stumbling over the ledge of a ravine in the darkness and landing on the rocks at the bottom. So one girl got like, um, they say, oh, she had a tongue bitten out. And it's it just like animals go yeah, for the softest it. That's it. Rat it's came along and just gobbled her tongue. Or but well, I had to look at what a Carmen Vortex Street was. Like. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically what happens is if you've got something in the way, imagine if you've got like a rock in the water, right? Mm. And then your water flow, uh, yeah. flows towards it. And then you see the little ripples and eddies yeah, on the other yeah. side of it. That's a Carmen Vortex Street. And that's what actually creates, that's, it's it's like a th- fluid dynamic thing, right. but it works with air and sound as well, and it's the sound that you get. You know, like if you get um, a telephone wire singing, creates yeah. that little resolution, yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and uh, the vibration of a car antenna as well. So yeah. it's that same sort of thing. And when you got the window down a little bit, you're listening to a Carmen Vortex Street. Cool. That's what they're called. Yeah, man, yeah. that's really interesting. <laughs>
sometimes, you see, this American weaponry can cause sonic distress without actually meaning to. Wow, right. Right. So we're looking at a, 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 an aeroplane, 1955 now, we're talking yep. about like a, a, a military aircraft, right? A turboprop aircraft. <laughs> and it's called the Republic XF-84H Thunder Screech. <laughs> <laughs> Thunder Screech. <laughs> so if you ever do the, the 80s style metal band, I yeah. think our band would be called yeah. Thunder Screech. Yeah. <laughs> and it was an experimental turboprop aircraft derived from the F-84F. Thunder Streak. Right. So this was a different plane. Oh, would you have, would you have a little look at Ooh, the Thunder Streak? Peter, please. Yeah, let's have a little look at this bad boy. Look at that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> unusual looking, isn't it? Yeah. It does look like a jet fire yeah. plane. Well, it, 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 it's a turbo prop, you see, because wow. that's what it's, so it has got a propeller on it. Yeah. But if you're interested in having a look at some of these things as well, we're going to be on our uh, Instagram page, which is at Crack and Curve Pod. Uh, and it's going to be on our Twitter as well, at Crack and Curve. And if you want to get in touch with us about any of these things as well, um, we're at crackandcovepodcast at gmail.com. So drop us a line, let us know a few ideas and things. Because again, we've had a few ideas sort of like mm. requested. That's, yeah, what, yeah. that's what this show's all about. Yeah, this it should time. be inspire us, dudes. Yeah, inspire exactly, us. you know. So we've had a little look at that plane, the, uh, the, the Thunder Screech, right? <laughs> and it was powered by a turbine engine. That was mated to a supersonic propeller, which was a super rare thing, you see. It is a very unusual way of getting about, is a supersonic propeller. The Exima, the, ex the Thunder Screech, yeah. <laughs> and the potential for setting the unofficial airspeed record for the propeller driven aircraft, but was unable to overcome aerodynamic deficiencies and engine reliability problems, resulting in the program's cancellation. Now, what it's really known for is its noise, right? right? Thus called Thunder Screech. So, the XF-84H was almost certainly the loudest aircraft ever built, earning the nickname Thunder Screech, as well as the Mighty Ear Banger. <laughs> Which I think is even better. <laughs> Poetic, though. Yeah. On the ground run-ups, the prototype could reportedly be heard 25 miles away. Unlike standard propellers that turned at subsonic speeds, the outer 24 to 30 inches of the blades of the plane's propeller travelled faster than the speed of sound, oh even at idle thrust, producing a continuous visible sonic boom oh. that radiated laterally from the propellers for hundreds of yards. Wow. So basically it's got a sonic boom blasting to left and right and up and down <laughs> around Oh, whenever it's running, it is just sonic booming. Oh my god, the noise, <laughs> how can you? Suppose it's radiated out, the, the pilots could be alright, isn't it? Yeah. Weird, right? The shockwave was actually powerful enough to knock a man down. An unfortunate crew chief who was inside a nearby C 47 was nearly incapacitated during a 30 minute ground run. Coupled with the already considerable noise from the subsonic aspect of the propeller and the T 40's dual turbine sections, the aircraft was notorious for inducing severe nausea and headaches among ground crew. In one report, a Republic engineer suffered a seizure after close range exposure to the shockwaves emanating from the thunder screech. Oh, God. <laughs> We'd have to brown the pants, but they, you know, we're too ashamed to say, oh, you well, know, this is it. I'd be browning everywhere, you know, wouldn't they? But this is the thing with it. I mean, it was absolutely useless as a plane <laughs> because it was just a continually sonic booming. That's 
means I'll find about something booming continuously. I'm interested to hear it though. I know what you mean. I'd give it a once one. Because it would it would it sound like just like a boom or would it just be like a whoa? Yeah, just this continuous screaming fucking evil. Probably what we heard before with that Vietnam tape. Yeah. I mean that's absolute madness, isn't it? So luckily, 1956, the old thunder screech was no more. So I don't know if there's any in, in, in existence still in storage somewhere. I'll yeah. fire one up. Give us a bit of the old <laughs> blast of the thunder screech, you know what I mean? <laughs> Oscillate my eyeballs with your thunder screech. <laughs> It's been a big one today, hasn't it? It's a whopper. It's a whopper, but I think we've got time for just one more, right? Because I really like this one. This is about a great way of using sort of like um, sound, I think, yeah, like, yeah. you know. Or it would have been if it had gone right. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a story of the Integratron, right? <laughs> the names have been yeah. this as well. This is a good one as well. So the Integratron is a 38-foot-tall cupola structure with a diameter of 55 feet designed by ufologist and contactee George Van Tassel. Van Tassel claimed the Integratron was capable of rejuvenation, anti-gravity, and potentially time travel. Oh, yeah. yeah. He built the structure in Landers, California, near Joshua Tree, following instructions that Van Tassel vehemently claimed were provided directly to him by visitors from the planet Venus. <laughs> the Integratron machine was started in 1957, the structure erected in 1959, and it was financed predominantly by donations, including funds from Howard Hughes. Oh, wow. Now, would you like a little look at the Integratron? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> peaky, peaky, please. There it oh, is. Oh, wow. It's like an observatory, isn't it? It That's is, cool. yeah. This is it. And the, the, he reckons this was de- built to dimensions given into him from people from Venus. So I think it's quite a special little place, is that? And it's still there now. Yeah. Yeah. So, George Van Tassel was a former aircraft mechanic and flight inspector who moved to California's Mojave Desert to operate an airport and an inn. While there, he began meditating under Giant Rock, which the Native Americans of the area hold sacred. In August 1953, Van Tassel claimed he had been contacted both telepathically and later in person by people from space who gave him a technique to rejuvenate human cell tissue. So potentially making you live forever, you know? Acting on these instructions, Van Tassel began the construction of the Integratron in 1954. Construction costs were partly paid for by an annual series of successful UFO conventions and the giant rock spacecraft conventions, which continued for nearly 25 years. The main structure's construction was completed circa 1959, but Van Tassel continued to work on the device until his sudden death in 1978. Wow. Now, what a lot of people don't actually point out is that Van Tassel died on the day he was meant to start it up, for, you know, really start, oh, yeah. start up as a, as a process, a thing that had worked, yeah, yeah. fire it up, and only knew, he knew how to kind of do it. Oh, Christ, so you knew how to he switch died, it He died on that day so of, obviously, of a heart attack. So he switched it on dead. 
<laughs> I don't think he, no, I don't think he oh, did. Oh, right, he, he didn't get around to it. Didn't get, so nobody oh, knows maybe what, Venus people just like thought that. Yeah, maybe so. He, just, yeah, he got zapped via the Venus Shit. people, yeah. So according to Van Tassel, the Integratron's workings rely on the generation of strong intermittent magnetic fields, resulting in the generation of plasma in the form of a coronal discharge and negative air ionization inside the building. The Integratron is based on the multiple wave oscillators invented by George Lakofsky. The multiple wave oscillator is a combination of high voltage Tesla coils and a split ring resonator that generates ultra wide band electromagnetic frequencies. So there's a lot of flipping jargon yeah, going on there, really. There's a lot of mumbo jumbo and things like this, you know. So the same, but using these things, it will sort of resonate with the cell's frequency, and it recharges the cellular structure as if it were an electric battery. Wow! So you know that's pretty good, isn't it? So he also claimed that the uh, uh, the Integratron is intentionally constructed atop a powerful geomagnetic anomaly, and its construction is entirely of non-ferromagnetic metals. So it's it's not radio, it's not magnetic in any way. So the, and the place <coughs> is weird where he's built it. You say? Yeah. Wow. See, so he's found the right place. Yeah. He's found the right materials. He's found the right construction. Mm. Everything could have happened, you know. So after Van Tassel died, there was a proposal to turn the Integratron into a disco. That would be too good, would yeah, it? Man. Yeah. But that plan was never realised. The Integratron's new owners operate as a, as a tourist attraction and offer sound baths what? where groups of people. Are exposed to harmonic sound frequencies produced by quartz bowls claimed to have a deep calming effect. According to one of the structures at docents, don't know what that is, the Integratron is an acoustically perfect sound chamber. Wow. So what that actually means, I don't know if you know about like sound baths and stuff. You I can use a bath mate. <clears throat> well what you do is you can use symbols, um Things that chime, things mm. that resonate. You're basically using sound for good to heal yeah. your body. All right. So you create these little waves and these sounds that build one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. <clears throat> and it calms you, relaxes you completely. Cool. And they just these sounds wash over you and wash through you, and they do uh -huh. nothing but good. So really, what we've done there is we've come from the start of the worst way of destruction. Yeah, all the way through to a way they're finally using sound for good. Oh, I want like a good gun, you know, a good sound gun. We can go combat all the noise. I think so. <laughs> I think yeah, I think that's the way we do it. But I think now what I need to do is I just realised I've got the BBC Sounds app on me on my phone. Oh, can we well, yeah. catch you up on yeah, it? Yeah, so let's have a bit of Desert Island discs oh, now, shall we? Nice one, <laughs> lovely bubbly. <laughs> so from I think that'll be a lovely bit of sound for me and Ben. Right. Sounds know? good to Benny. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> <little> <laughs> so it's only left for us to say now. Thanks very much for tuning in, and um, hopefully you'll listen again later. Yeah, take care, guys. Cheers. Bye. See ya.
on Twitter at Kraken Cove or Instagram at Kraken Cove Pod. Ha ha!